lovely lady. Oh, you drive me crazy. Okay, now we are back in. Uh, are hello. we rolling? We yes, were, yes were, we are actually is rolling. Is this thing on? It is, it is on. Hello, welcome, uh, uh, Inherent Cast listeners. Um, we just did a whole genius bit of bants welcoming uh, ourselves back after being gone for three weeks. But unfortunately, for the first time ever, ever in one of these, uh, there was a, like some kind of SD card ma- manufacturer or manufacturer malfunction in the Zoom recorder and it didn't record. This, I swear, this never happens to this me. This never happens. This never it happens It does happen and it is a big deal. Yes. Uh that's a friend's uh, joke for all of you friends heads out there. <laughs> um, so, like, literally in the thousands and thousands of podcasts that I've recorded, um, I, I have had, like, technical mal- malfunctions that have erased actual stuff that was recorded maybe twice, mm. and today was one of them. Anyway, we are kind of on a time time budget, so let's freaking hop We'll hop, hop right hop, in, hop and we'll, we'll hit you on the back end, but yes. happy, happy to be here, happy e- to be. even if our uh, Zoom recorder yes. isn't, I guess. Yeah, I guess. Uh, we're, we're just Mr. and Mrs. just happy to be here. <laughs> All right, let's get back into it. Uh, I can't remember whether I was doing a silly voice for Jason Velveeta. the... Po- the the uh, pimp, the the failure pimp, Jason Velveeta, but I'm just going to give him a normal voice. I'm sorry if, I, if I'm breaking breaking the character. He should have a, he should have a voice like melted cheese, like, hey, hey. I'm Jason Velveeta. He's kind of cheesy. All right. Yes. You're talking about Jade. Uh, she needs somebody watching out for her. She takes too many chances, not just this Hollywood drive-up trade, like these Golden Fang people, man. She's in way too deep with them. We still recording? Yes, it's working. Woo! Yeah, now, I've heard the name someplace. Indo-Chinese heroin cartel, a vertical package. They finance it, grow it, process it, bring it in, step on it, move it, run stateside networks of local street dealers, take a separate percentage off of each operation. Brilliant. That sweet young thing is dealing smack? Maybe not, but she was working at a massage place that's one of the fronts they use to launder money. If so, Doc reflected, then Mickey Wolfman and the Golden Fang might not be all that unconnected. Shit, man. Whatever you do, Jason was saying, maybe more to himself, keep clear of the thing. If they even begin to think you might get between them and their money, best you go looking for something else to do. Far away, if possible. Doc left Jason Velveeta down on Sunset again in front of the Sunfax market and ambled back downhill, thinking, let's see, it's a schooner that smuggles in goods, it's a shadowy holding company, now it's a Southeast Asian heroin cartel. Maybe Mickey's in on it. Wow, this golden fang, man. What they call many things to many folks. (laughs) Cars drove by with the windows down and you could hear tambourines inside keeping time to whatever was on the radio. We should drive around with a a tambourine. I think it's a great idea. Maybe some maracas. Yeah. Jukeboxes were playing in corner coffee shops and acoustic guitars and harmonicas in little apartment courtyards. All over this piece of night hillside, there was music. Slowly, ahead of him someplace, Doc became aware of saxophones and a massive percussion section. Something by Antonio Carlos Jobim. <laughs> Antonio uh, Carlos Jobim. Which, uh, is that a girl of Mipo Nima? Uh, Something like that. Which turned out to be coming from a Brazilian bar called O Conga Sero. Sure. Somebody was taking a tenor sax solo and Doc, on a hunch, decided to put his head inside where a sizable crowd were dancing, smoking, drinking, and hustling, as well as respectfully listening to the ensemble, among whom Doc, not too surprised, recognized Coy Harlingen. The change from the morose shadow he'd last seen up at Topanga was striking. Coy stood with his upper body held in an attentive arc around the instrument, 
sweating, loose-fingered, taken away. The tune was Desafinado. When the set ended, a curious sort of hippie chick approached the piano, her hair short and tightly permed, her outfit including a little black dress from the 1950s and interestingly high stiletto heels. (laughs) In fact, now that Doc looked closer, maybe she wasn't really a hippie chick after all. Uh, She seated herself at the keyboard the way a poker player might at a promising table, ran a couple of A minor scales up and down, and without much more introduction than that, began to sing the Rogers and Hart Lounge classic, It Never Entered My Mind. Doc, you know that? Uh, here's a question. I asked this about Infinite uh, Infinite Jest. Who is the narrator in this? The thing that made me think about that is the identifying that this chick was playing A minor scales. Does Doc know that? Uh, is this just universal information that we are being uh, imparted from a um, an omniscient narrator? I don't know. Maybe this is like very surface level uh, literary analysis, but I always try to think of like what is the well, who's the narrator? Like who's well, because sometimes it does directly slip into Doc's yes. thought process, a first person, but then not always. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm might, just wondering. Does Doc know? Of... Can Doc identify an A minor scale at at on mm-hmm. on by ear? Yeah, there might be a touch of the uh, like communal uh, consciousness yeah. in there. Because uh, he can't be an expert on everything. Yeah, I don't know. I just it's always something I, I think uh, an interesting thing to keep in mind when you're considering these these types of things. Mm-hmm. Doc was not Books. a great <laughs> yes. Doc was not a great admirer of torch material. Had in fact been known to discreetly withdraw to the nearest toilet if he even suspected some might be on the way. But now he sat confounded and turning to Jello. Maybe it was this young woman's voice, her quiet confidence in the material. Howsoever, by the second eight bars, Doc knew there was no way not to take the lyric personally. He found shades in his pocket and put them on. (laughs) After an extended piano break and a repeat of the refrain, Doc, on some impulse, turned and there was Coy Harlingen at his shoulder, (laughs) like a parrot in a cartoon, also wearing shades and nodding. I can sure relate to that lyric, man. Like, you make these choices... You know for sure you're doing the right thing for everybody, then it all goes belly up and you see it, uh, it couldn't have been more wrong. The stylish chanteuse had moved on to Dietz and Schwartz's alone together and Doc bought himself and Coy cachaça with beer chasers. That's a very you order. <laughs> I'm not asking you to give away secrets, but I think I saw you once on the tube at a rally for Nixon. And your question is, Am I is am I really one of them screaming white right wing nutcases? <laughs> something like that. I wanted to get clean and I thought I wanted to do something for my country. Stupid as it sounds. These people were the only ones who were offering me that. It looked like an easy call. But what they really wanted was to control the membership by making us feel like we're never patriotic enough. My country right or wrong with Vietnam going on? That's just fucking crazy. Suppose your mom was using smack. My, uh... You wouldn't at least say something? Wait, so the U.S. is like somebody's mom, you're saying, and she's strung out on what exactly? On sending kids off to die in jungles for no reason. Something wrong and suicidal that she can't stop. I kind of get what he's getting Yeah, <laughs> and the Viggies wouldn't buy that? Is it Viggies or Viggies? I don't know what he, it's standing for. Viggies? Viggies. I never got a chance to bring it up. By then it was too late anyway. I saw what it was. I saw what I'd done. Doc sprang for refills. They sat and listened to the rest of the girl who wasn't a hippie chick set. Not a bad solo you took back there, Doc said. Coy shrugged. For a borrowed horn, I guess. (laughs) You still staying up at Topanga? 
No choice. Coy Harlingen is Deacon Blues. Yeah. Uh, I play just what I feel. Yeah. I drink Scotch whiskey, whiskey all night long. Die behind the wheel. He waited for Doc to say something, which turned out to be bummer. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me. I'm lower than a groupie, fetching weed, opening beers, making sure there's only aqua jelly beans in the big punch bowl <laughs> in the parlor. But there I go, complaining again. I do get the feeling, Doc said tentatively, you'd rather be someplace else? Back where I was would be nice, with a small break toward the end that Doc hoped was audible only to PIs who make a habit of wallowing in sentiment. The musicians were filtering back to the stand, and the next thing Doc knew, Coy was deep into a complicated head arrangement of Samba do Aviao, as if this, this was all he had to put between himself and the way he would thought he'd fucked up his life. Doc ended up sticking around till closing time and watched Coy getting into the sinister Mercury Woody that had chased Doc down the canyon the other night. Mm. He walked down to the Arizona Palms and had the all-nighter special, then sat through the dawn reading the paper and waited out the morning rush hour at a window with a downhill view into the smog light. The traffic reduced to streams of reflective trim twinkling ghostly along the nearer boulevards, soon vanishing into brown, bright distance. It wasn't so much Coy he kept cycling back to as hope who believed, with no proof, that her husband hadn't died, and Amethyst, who ought to have something more than fading Polaroids to go to when she got them little kid blues. <laughs> Chapter 11. Waiting on Doc's door sill at work was a postcard from some island he had never heard of out in the Pacific Ocean, with a lot of vowels in its name. The cancellation <laughs> was in French and initialed by a local postmaster, along with the notation Courrier par Lance Coco, which, closest he could figure from the Petite La Russe, must mean some kind of catapult mail delivery involving coconut shells, maybe as a way of dealing with an unapproachable reef. The message on the card was unsigned, but he knew it was from Shasta. I wish you could see these waves. It's one more of these places a voice from somewhere else tells you you have to be. Remember that day with the Ouija board? I miss those days, and I miss you. I wish so many things could be different. Nothing was supposed to happen this way, Doc. I'm so sorry. Maybe she was, then again, maybe not. But what about this Ouija board? Doc went stumbling through his city dump of a memory. Oh, oh, sure, dimly. It had been during one of those prolonged times of no dope. Nobody had any. Everybody was desperate and suffering lapses of judgment. People were opening up cold capsules and laboriously sorting the thousands of tiny beads inside by color in the belief that each color stood for a different belladonna alkaloid, which, taking in big enough doses, would get them loaded. They were snorting nutmeg, drinking cocktails of visine and inexpensive wine, eating packets of morning glory seeds, despite rumors that the seed companies were coating them with some chemical that would make you throw up anything. One day, when Doc and Shasta were over at Sortilege's house, she mentioned this Ouija board she had. Doc had a brain flash. Hey, you think it knows where we can score? Sortilege raised her eyebrows and shrugged, but waved a go-ahead hand at the board. The usual suspicions then arose, like, how could you be sure the other person wasn't <laughs> deliberately moving the planchette to make it look like some message from beyond, planchette. and so on. A, a, a favorite ultra-specific word, <laughs> planchette. Easy as pie, Sortilege said. Just do it all by yourself. Following her instructions, Doc breathed himself deeply and carefully into a receptive state, letting the tips of his fingers rest as lightly as possible on the planchette. Now make your request and see what happens. Groovy, said Doc. Hey, where can I find some dope, man? And, you know, good shit. 
The planchette took off like a jackrabbit, spelling out almost faster than Shasta could copy an address down Sunset somewhere east of Vermont, <laughs> and even th- throwing in a phone number, which Doc promptly dialed. Oh my God, there's a fly flying in front of me. It's going to kill it. <laughs> Howdy, dopers, cooed a female voice. We've got whatever you need. And remember, the sooner you get over here, the more there will be left for you. <laughs> yeah, like, who am I talking to? Hello? <laughs> hey! Doc looked at the receiver, puzzled. She just hung up. Could have been a recording, said Sordelige. Did you hear what she was screaming at you? Stay away. I'm a police trap. You want to come along? Keep us out of trouble? She looked doubtful. I have to advise you at this point that it might not be anything. See, the problem about Ouija boards, but Doc and Shasta were already out the door and soon rattling up the chuckhold obstacle course known as Rosecrans Boulevard uh, under a cloudless sky in the sort of perfect daylight you always saw on TV cop shows, unshaded even by the eucalyptus trees that had recently all been chopped down. The Kate- perfect daylight that you only see on TV cop shows. <laughs> Great description. USA Network. Uh, there's a... God, there's a Brad Neely video in which he has the phrase something like the hyper tight light of fried chicken commercials. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I was drink, drinking coffee. But yeah, that just reminds me of them. That's nice. KH Day <laughs> was playing a Tommy James and the Shondells marathon. Commercial free, in fact. What could be more auspicious? Even before they reached the airport, something about the light had begun to go weird. The sun vanished behind clouds, which grew thicker by the minute. Up in the hills among the oil pumps, the first raindrops began to fall, and by the time Doc and Shasta got to La Brea, they were in the middle of a sustained cloudburst. This was way too unnatural. Ahead, someplace over Pasadena, black clouds had gathered, not just dark gray, but midnight black, tar pit black, hitherto unreported circle of hell black. <laughs> Lightning bolts had begun to descend across the L.A. basins singly and in groups, followed by deep apocalyptic peals of thunder. Everybody had turned their headlights on, though it was midday. I will say that since we've been here, you, I noticed that it rains more than you would think in L.A., but I have not seen a bolt of lightning or thunder here yet. No, not a not a thunderstorm in that way. Uh, every, the, the water came rushing down the hillsides of Hollywood, sweeping mud, trees, bushes, and many of the lighter types of vehicle on down into the flatlands. After hours of detouring for landslides and traffic jams and accidents, Doc and Shasta finally located the mystically revealed dope dealer's address, which turned out to be an empty lot with a gigantic excavation in it between a laundromat and an Orange Julius. (laughs) Excuse me, an Orange Julius plus car wash. All of them closed. In the thick mist and lashing rain, you couldn't even see to the other side of the hole. (laughs) Hey, I thought there was supposed to be a lot of dope around here. What Sordelige had tried to point out about Ouija boards, as Doc later learned back at the beach while wringing out his socks and looking for a hairdryer, was that concentrated around us are always mischievous. Did you say mischievous or mischievous? Mischievous. Mischievous spirit forces just past the (laughs) threshold of human perception, occupying both worlds, and that these critters enjoy nothing better than to mess with those of us still attached to the thick and sorrowful catalogs of human desire. (laughs) Sure, was their attitude. You want dope? Here's your dope, you fucking idiot. (laughs) Doc and Shasta, I agree with this. Yes, that is is what, what it feels like. It's that that is, that is what the energies of like. I mean, that, that feels like a big uh, inter- that that sentiment right there feels like a big intersection between this and and infinite jest, like that. That is a sentiment that would be that you would find in infinite jest as yes. well. Here's your dope, you fucking you idiot. fucking idiot. Where was the man? Where was the lady who said she would come? 
Uh, Doc and Shasta sat parked by the edge of the empty, swamped rectangle and watched its edges now and then slide in. And after a while, things rotated 90 degrees, <laughs> and it began to look, to Doc at least, like a doorway, a great wet temple entrance into someplace else. The rain beat down on the car roof, lightning and thunder from time to time interrupting thoughts of the old namesake river that had once run through this town, long canalized and tapped dry, and crippled into a public and anonymous confession of the deadly sin of greed. He imagined it yes, filling, filling again, up to its concrete rim, and then over, all the water that had not been allowed to flow here for all these years now, an unrelenting return, soon beginning to occupy the arroyos and cover the flats, all the swimming pools in the backyards filling up and overflowing and flooding the lots and streets, all this karmic waterscape connecting together as the rain went on falling and the land vanished into a sizable inland sea that would presently become an extension of the Pacific. <laughs> He's not wrong. No. It does rain rain do it does do, seem do to be, be like that, I yeah. we came here thinking fire was going to be the biggest problem. No. It's rain, buddy. Let, let the rain fall down. Mm. Like the song from the OC. Look, lucky for us, uh, I'm not afraid of a little a little rain. We come from rainy <laughs> New York City. Yes. It was funny that of all things to mention in the limited space of a coconut launched postcard, Shasta <laughs> should have picked that day in the rain. It had stuck with Doc somehow, too, even though it came at a point late in their time together when she was already halfway out the door and Doc saw it happening but was letting it happen. And despite it, uh, despite it, there they were, presently making out frantically like kids at the drive-in, steaming up the windows and getting the seat covers wet, forgetting for a few minutes how it was all going to develop anyway. Back at the beach, the rain continued, and every day up in the hills, another fragment of real estate came sliding down. Insurance salesmen had brill cream running down their collars, <laughs> and Stuart I found it impossible, even with half-gallon cans of hairspray purchased in duty-free zones far away, to maintain their hairdos in anything close to a stylish flip. The termitic houses of Gordita Beach had all turned to the consistency of wet sponge. Emergency plumbers reached in to squeeze the beams and joists, thinking of their own winter homes in Palm Springs. People began to go crazy even while on the natch. <laughs> on the natch, on the, as on the natural, not high. <laughs> I'm on the natch these days. Some enthusiasts, <laughs> I love that. Some enthusiasts claiming to be George Harrison of the Beatles tried to, <laughs> tried to hijack the Goodyear blimp moored at its winter quarters at the intersection of the Harbor and San Diego freeways and make, him fly, make it fly him to Aspen, Colorado in the rain. The rain had a particular effect on Sordelige, who was just around then beginning to get obsessed by Lemuria and its tragic final days. You were there in a former life, Doc theorized. I dream about it, Doc. I wake up so sure sometimes. Spike feels that way, too. Maybe it's all this rain, but we're starting to have the same dreams. We can't find a way to return to Lemuria, so it's returning to us, rising up out of the ocean. Hi, Liege. Hi, Spike. Long time, ain't it? It talked to you guys? I don't know. It isn't just a place. All right, let's do a little more reading. It's a space because I think we could get we could we could get into a, a fun segment. Uh, that's all right. Yes, we are at eight, 19 minutes. Oh yeah, we've got time. Let's do another ten minutes of reading. Sure. Doc turned over Shasta's postcard now and stared at the picture on the front. It was a photo taken underwater of the ruins of some ancient city, broken columns and arches, and collapsed retaining walls. Lemuria. The water was supernaturally clear and seemed to emit a vivid blue-green light. Fish, what Doc guessed you'd call tropical, were swimming back and forth. It all seemed familiar. He looked for a photo credit, a copyright date, a place of origin, blank. He rolled the joint and lit up and considered. This had to be a message from someplace besides a Pacific island whose name he couldn't pronounce. 
he decided to go back and visit the Ouija board address, which, being the site of a classic dope misadventure, had remained permanently entered in his memory. Dennis came along for muscle. The hole in the ground was gone, and in its place rose a strangely futuristic building. From the front, it might have been taken at first for some kind of religious structure, smoothly narrow and conical, like a church spire, only different. Whoever put it up must have had a pretty comfortable budget to work with, too, because the whole outside had been covered in gold leaf. Then Doc noticed how this tall, pointed shape was also curved away from the street. He went down the block a little way and looked back to get a side view, and when he saw how dramatic the curve was and how sharp the point at the top, he finally tumbled. Aha! In the old L.A. tradition of architectural whimsy, this structure was supposed to be a six-story-high golden fang. Mm. Dennis, I'm going to look around for a while. You want to wait in the car or come in and cover my back or something? So wait, they, they have gone to the address that he remembers from the Ouija from board. From the Ouija board. That he had gone to with... Shasta. Shasta. Sometime before. It was a hole, and now it's It a used to be thing. an Orange Julius. <laughs> yes, an Orange Julius car wash. Great. Oh, we should go to a car wash today. We should get a car wash today. Or I got to wash it. I want to learn how to wash it myself. Not learn how. I've been doing it since <laughs> well, I was a I'm, kid. I'm going to get you but a pressure washer for your hand. We need a bucket. We, need a bucket. we don't have a bucket. We don't have a bucket. If anyone ha- we knows used to have a bucket, but we left LA it in New York. Yeah. I'm, I'm in search of ISO bucket. <laughs> uh, I was going to go try and find a pizza, Dina said. <laughs> Doc handed him the car keys. And did they have driver edit losing her high? <laughs> sure. And you remember this is a stick, not automatic and so forth. I'm cool, Doc. And Dina sped off. The front door was nearly invisible, more of a big access panel that fits snugly into the curving facade. In the lobby beneath a tasteful sign and sans serif face reading Golden Fang Enterprises Incorporated slash Corporate HQ and behind a nameplate of her own that said Xandra, hi, sat an Asian receptionist wearing a black vinyl jumpsuit and a distant expression who asked him in a semi-Brit accent whether he was sure he had the right place. (laughs) Very good. Uh, This is the address they told me at the Club Asiatique in San Pedro, just here to pick up a package for the management. Xandra reached for a telephone, punched a button, murmured into it, listened, gave Doc another doubtful once-over, stood, and led him across the reception area to a brushed metallic door. It only took a step or two for him to dig that she'd logged more dojo hours in the year previous than he'd spent in front of the tube his whole life. Not the sort of young lady whose displeasure you'd go looking to provoke. (laughs) Second office on the left. Dr. Blacknoid will see you in a moment. Doc found the office and looked around for something to check out his hair in, but saw only a small yellow-framed feng shui mirror by the door. The face looking back did not seem to be his own. This is not promising, he muttered. (laughs) Behind a titanium desk, the window revealed a stretch of lower sunset, taquerias, low-rent hotels, pawn shops. There were beanbag chairs and a range of magazines, foreign affairs, uh, sensimilla tips, modern psychopath, <laughs> Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists that gave Doc no handle on the clientele here. He started paging through 2,000 hairdos and was just getting into that five-point scissor cut, what your stylist isn't telling you. That's the that's the Vidal Sassoon. That is the five-point yeah. scissor cut? Yeah. When Dr. Blatnoid came in, wearing a suit in a, near, in a deep, nearly ultraviolet shade of velvet with very wide jacket lapels and bell-bottom trousers and accented with a raspberry-colored bow tie and display handkerchief, he seated himself behind the desk, reached for a weighty loose-leaf manual of some kind and began consulting it, squinting over at Doc from time to time. Finally, 
What what would be the voice of Doctor Blatnoid if I wasn't uh if I if I didn't have uh, Martin Short in mind? I I would do I would do like a nasally voice like a, so, I'm Doctor Blatnoid. Okay, so you have some idea, I imagine. Doc went looking through his wallet till he found a business card from a Chinese head shop on North <laughs> Spring Street. He thought would do the trick. I can't read this. It's in some Oriental. What is this Chinese? Well, I figured that you being Chinese. <laughs> what? What are you talking about? The the Golden Fang. <laughs> it's a syndicate. Most of us happen to be dentists. We set it up years ago for tax purposes. All legit. Wait. Peering at Doc, you'd have to say diagnostically. Where did you tell Sandra you were from again? Uh, why, you're another one of those hippie dope fiends, aren't you? My goodness. Here for a little perking up, I'll bet. In a jiffy, he was out with a tall cylinder of brown glass sealed elaborately with globs of some bright red plastic. Dig it. Just in from Darmstadt. Lab quality. Maybe I'll even have some with you. And before Doc knew it, the hectic DDS had a quantity of fluffy white cocaine crystals all chopped up into snortable format and arranged in lines on a nearby copy of Guns and Ammo. Doc shrugged an apology. I tried not to do dope I can't pay for. what it is. Woo! Dr. Blatnoid had a soda straw and was busy snorting away. <laughs> no worries, it's on the house, as the TV antenna man always says. Hmm, missed a little. He took it on his finger and rubbed it enthusiastically into his gums. Doc did half a line in either nostril just to be sociable, but somehow could not shake the impression that all was not as innocent here as it looked. He had been in a dentist's office or two, and there was a distinctive smell and a set of vibes that were as absent here as room echoes, which he'd also been wondering about. Like something else was going on. Something not groovy. There was a quiet but no-nonsense knock at the door, and Xandra, the receptionist, looked in. She had unzipped the top of the jumpsuit, and Doc could now make out this exquisite pair of no-bra tits, their nipples <laughs> noticeably erect. Oh, doctor, she breathed, half-singing it. Yes, Sandra, replied Dr. Blatnoid, moist-nosed and beaming. Sandra nodded and slid away, uh, back out of the door again, smiling over her shoulder. And don't forget to bring that bottle. Be right back, Blatnoid assured Doc, speeding out after her, eyes frenziedly focused on where her ass had just been, his echoless footsteps soon vanishing into unknown regions of the Golden Fang building. Doc went over and had a look at the manual on the desk. Titled Golden Fang Procedures Handbook, it was open to a chapter titled Interpersonal Situations. Section 8, Hippies. Dealing with a hippie <laughs> is genu generally straightforward. His childlike nature will usually respond positively to drugs, sex, and or rock and roll, although in which order these are to be deployed must depend on conditions specific to the moment. From the doorway came a loud, violent chirp. Doc looked up and saw a smiling young woman, blonde, Californian, presentable, wearing a striped mini dress of many different psychedelic colors and waving at him vigorously, causing enormous earrings shaped like pagodas of some kind to swing back and forth and actually jingle. Here for my smile maintenance appointment with Dr. Rudy. A blast from the past. Hey, that's at Japonica, ain't it? Japonica Fenway. Imagine meeting you here. <laughs> Japonica Fenway. This was not a moment he'd either been dreading or hoping for, though now and then someone would remind him of the ancient American Indian belief that if you save somebody's life, you are responsible for them from then on forever. And he would wonder if any of that applied to his history with Japonica. It had been his first paying gig as a licensed private eye, and pay it did for sure. 
The Fenways were heavy-duty South Bay money living on the Palos Verdes Peninsula in a gated enclave located inside the already gated high-rent community of Rolling Hills. How am I supposed to come see you, Doc wondered, when Crocker Fenway, Japonica's dad, called (laughs) him at the office. Guess it'll have to be outside the gates and down in the flats, said Crocker, like Lomita? It was a pretty open-and-shut runaway daughter case, hardly worth daily scale, let alone the extravagant bonus Crocker insisted on paying when Doc finally brought Japonica back, one lens missing from her wire-rimmed shades and vomit in her hair, making the handoff in the same parking lot where he and Crocker had met originally. It wasn't clear if she'd ever clearly registered Doc then or remembered him now. So, Japonica, what have you been up to? Oh, escaping mostly? There's like this place that my parents keep sending me to, which turned out to be Criscylodon, the same nut plantation in Ojai that Doc remembered his Aunt Reet mentioning and which Sloan and Mickey had donated a wing to. Though Doc once may have rescued Japonica from a life of dark and unspecified hippie horror, apparently restoration to the bosom of her family had been enough to really drive her around the bend. Against the neutral surface of the wall opposite, Doc had a moment's visual of an American Indian in full Indian gear, perhaps one of those warriors who wipe out Henry Fonda's regiment in Fort Apache, 1948, (laughs) approaching with a menacing frown. Doc responsible for crazy white chick now. What Doc planning to do about that, if anything? Oh, God. Excuse me? Short man with strange hair? Are you all right? And on she went without waiting for an answer, twinkling like a room full of speed freaks hanging Christmas tinsel about her different escapes. It was beginning to give Doc a headache. Owing to Governor Reagan's shutdown of most of the state mental facilities, the private sector had been trying in its way to pick up some of the slack, soon in fact becoming a standard California child-rearing resource. The Fanways had had Japonica in and out of Criscylodon on a sort of maintenance contract basis, depending as always on how they themselves were feeling day to day, for both led emotional lives of unusually high density and often incoherence. (laughs) Some days all I had to do was play the wrong kind of music and there's my bags already packed down in the front hall waiting for the driver. Soon, Criscylodon had found itself attracting a type of silent benefactor, middle-aged, male, though occasionally female, more focused than usual on the young and mentally disturbed. Freaky chicks and fun-loving dopers. Why do they call it the love generation? Come on up to Criscylodon for a rockin' weekend and find out. Absolute discretion guaranteed. Circa 1970, adult was no longer quite being defined as in times previous. Mm. Among those who could afford to, a strenuous mass denial of the passage of time itself was underway. All across the city, long devoted to illusory product, clairvoyant Japonica had seen them, these travelers invisible to others, poised, gazing from smog-swept mesa tops above the boulevards, acknowledging one another across miles and years, summit to summit in the dusk, under an obscurely enforced silence. Wing feathers trembled along their naked backs. They knew they could fly. A moment more, an eye blink in eternity, and they would ascend. So Dr. Rudy Blatnoid, out on a first blind date with Japonica at the Sound Mind Cafe, a secluded eatery with a patio in back and a menu designed by a resident three-star organic chef, was not only enchanted, he was wondering if somebody hadn't slipped some new psychedelic into his pomegranate martini. This girl was delightful. (laughs) Being a little ESP deficient, of course, Rudy failed to appreciate that behind her wide, sparkling gaze, Japonica was not only thinking about, but at this point, actually visiting other worlds. So Japonica sitting with the older man in the funny velour suit was actually a cybernetic organism, or cyborg, programmed to eat and drink, 
converse, and socialize, while real Japonica tended to important business elsewhere because she was the cosmic traveler. Deep issues out there awaited. Galaxies wheeled. Empires collapsed. Karma would not be denied. And real Japonica must always be present at some exact point in five-dimensional space or else chaos would resume its dominion. She returned to the sound mind to find that cyborg Japonica had somehow malfunctioned and gone skipping into the kitchen and done something gross to the soup of the day, and now they would have to pour it all down the sink. (laughs) Actually, it was the soup of the night, a sinister indigo liquid, which probably didn't deserve. Haven't you you joked about soup of the night? I feel like this is something that you brought up. I, we, <laughs> I think we did too. Yes, you know, we're talking about. Sure, I've, I've had enough first. of soup of the day. I'm I'm ready for soup Wait, of the night. I, th- I think I maybe I tweeted that a while I think ago. You did. The the illusory soup of the night. Listen, yeah. I'm not the first to have come up with it. Maybe I uh, well subconsciously yeah, I le- you it. you and Pinchon. Uh, maybe my cybernetic yes. uh, self was You're thinking about soup of the night. It was a sinister indigo liquid, which probably didn't deserve much respect. But still, <laughs> Cyborg Japonica could have shown some self-control. Naughty, impulsive Cyborg Japonica. <laughs> Perhaps real Japonica should not have let her have those special high-voltage batteries she'd been asking for. That would show her. Uh, we we have a page and, page and a half before we get the line, and then we can stop. Okay, let's, yeah, let's get, get to the, the, the line. Dr. Blatnoid, escorting her out through a room full of disapproving faces, only grew more bedazzled. So this was a free-spirited hippie chick. He saw these girls on the streets of Hollywood, on the TV screen, but this was his first up-close encounter. No wonder Japonica's parents didn't know what to do with her. His assumption here, which he didn't examine too closely, being that he did. And actually, I wasn't too sure about who he was till I came in for my first smile evaluation. At which point in Japonica's reminiscing, in popped the lecherous tooth yanker himself, zipping up his fly. <laughs> Japonica, I thought we never agreed to... Catching sight of Doc. Oh, you're still here? I escaped again, Rudy, she twinkled. Dennis <laughs> uh, also now came lurching in. <laughs> hey, man, your ride's in a body shop. <laughs> it signed itself in, Dennis. I sort of mashed the front end. I was looking at these chicks out on Little Santa Monica, and you went to Beverly Hills for a pizza and rear-ended somebody there. <laughs> Needs a new, what do they call that, with the hoses where the steam comes out? Radiator. Dennis, you said you took driver ed in high school. No, no, Doc. You said, did they have driver ed? And I said, yes, because they did. This dude, Eddie Ochoa, that there wasn't a cop south of Salinas could get near him, and that's what everybody called him. So, like, you never actually learn all that stuff they wanted you to remember, man? Xandra, visibly disheveled, now came running in after Dennis, yelling, I told you you couldn't come up here, then spotted Japonica and screeched to a halt. Oh, smile, maintenance chick, how lovely. While scaling tiny glares, Dr. Blatnoid's way, like the star-shaped blades in kung fu movies. Miss Fenway, the doctor began to explain, may seem a little psychotic today. Groovy, cried Dennis. What? Dr. Blatnoid, uh, blinking. Being insane, man? It's groovy. Where are you at, man? Dennis, Doc murmured. It is not groovy to be insane. <laughs> Japonica here has been institutionalized for it. Yep, beamed, <laughs> beamed Japonica. Like, in the place? Psychedelic. They put those volts in your head, man? Volts and volts, twinkled Japonica. Whoa, Bad for La Cabeza, man. All right, that's All right, a good let's place stop to stop. It's not groovy to be insane. It's not groovy to be insane. Uh, 
at least at least from the movie version my my favorite line from the book it's yeah. not groovy to be insane uh i don't know if it's just the uh the speed that you were trying to get through this chunk of the book but it, it, <laughs> a lot it takes, happened it takes a real manic energy here you know yeah there well it's the cocaine of course yes yes uh <laughs> that's all right i think we're almost close to halfway um, there's 369 pages and we're at, we're at 175 which is a little less than halfway um, but also like Doc casually staying up <laughs> the entire night oh yeah in this, this segment yeah things are things are yeah. going a little wonky yeah it's getting it's getting a little uh, frazzled yeah but you know at, at the Japon- halfway Japonica Japonica cyborg Japonica cyborg Japonica no bad naughty cyborg Japonica it, it is funny that I feel like the 60s paradigm of that kind of insanity what was that way, you know. Yeah. Na- now I feel like people have settled into kind of like I have anxiety and depression or maybe, you know, uh, yeah. like PTSD if, if you're nasty. Uh, but then it was like, I'm a cyborg and I'm visiting other dimensions. I'm an alien. I'm a cyborg and that's okay. We need to get back to more creative forms. Yeah. We need to find groovier versions of insanity. People should be more groovy in general. I would agree. I, th- it's, I think sometimes it, you meet a real groovy person. You're like, yeah, Damn. I think the, the predominant mode of coolness right now is not groovy. And I think that we could do more work to get back to that. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, some of the stuff that was talked about in this is, uh, you know, the, 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 sta- as he was talking about, like the standard runaway, runaway kid case and stuff like that is making yeah. me think of, um, one of the beats that true not is on, uh, over and over, which is the troubled teen industry. Yes. And I think that, like, the stuff, like, he's talking about here, the Chris Kyladon Institute, it, th- these seem to be the implications of the the infant form of those types of, of industries that would grow up. Yes, a place to, to dump your kid when you have not, you know, sufficiently parented them and are freaking out. And have deemed uh, that they are, quote, quote, unquote, insane. Insane, and then it turns out that, you know... Uh, donors to the institution get to have a uh, free rate, you know, yeah, exactly. first blind dates with, uh, with patients or whatever. <laughs> yes. Oh my God. The uh, soup of the night. Soup of the night. Uh, also the, uh, eternal, <laughs> one of the, the funniest like medicinal linkings is that of between dentists and cocaine. I mean, I, I don't know too much about the history of medical cocaine, but that used to be, if I, if I get my information from the, uh, uh, almost single season two season episode uh, or two two season tv show the nick yes it was used as like a an, an anesthetic right yeah, a numbing agent a numbing agent like a, a yeah. pre pre general anesthesia you would mm-hmm. you would get injected with cocaine so cocaine was a medical thing yes um not not really so much anymore huh no i think they found other things ketamine uh, ketamine um, fun fact, my friend just got her, my, my friend who is like 33 years old, got her wisdom teeth out finally, which is crazy. I don't know how common, is it common to wait that long? I have no idea. Listen, I feel like wisdom teeth coming out usually is like a high school, coll- high school or college. Yeah. I was a sophomore in college when I got my single wisdom tooth out. I think I was a senior in high school when I got a wisdom tooth out. Badass. Um, <laughs> we knew, we knew our, we, we were like neighborly friends with my orthodontist. Mm-hmm. So we definitely got like, 
like um, the a friends deal. and family. <laughs> I think we got a deal, and like he also pull, like pull pull three, get the fourth one free. He called he called the house like after like to check in. Like it was definitely it's what healthcare should be, mm-hmm. and probably was back in the village. Did he come by your house with like one of those like black uh, leathers bags? Uh, y- you know. Uh, that uh, that <laughs> opens up from, yeah from the top and he had like the big like reflective uh disc on yeah. his uh on a headband oh of course no he was cool he I uh sh- shout out my orthodontist he did a great <laughs> shout, job shout out my orthodontist um, and it hey. was just pre opiate crisis so I was able to get the good drugs uh, without any hemming or hawing Can about I sh- it shout out my orthodontist shout One out your the, orthodontist the weirdest name people I've ever encountered in my life Doctor Chalk. Fry. Chalk Fry. I mean, Dr. Not- Chalk, C H A L K Fry, F R Y. Sounds like a pinch on character. Yes, it, it, re- it really does. A pinch on ass individual that I had many interactions with as a kid. Uh, amazing. Uh, anyway, yes, dentist and cocaine, and also just dentist and, uh, you know, sinister dealings. Yeah. Uh, I've, I've come around. I, I trusted the dentist implicitly. I also had a great, great pediatric dentist childhood dentist no, dr that, thompson that little bit about uh him uh emer- the doctor emerging for, from the room it reminded me of the thing we we rewatched chicago the other night <laughs> uh when roxy is getting like is claiming that she's pregnant yes and uh the lawyer is talking to the doctor and he's and he's like and she the the lawyer's talking to the doctor is like and she's pregnant and he's like yes sir and, and he's like and you'll test that in court and he's like yes i will and then he's like zip up your fly yeah you know <laughs> the uh, implication being that he had just traded, attended to the patient traded you know? a, a bit a bit of a favor which yeah. hey you know what, what are you gonna do yeah a lot in this little segment you get the ouija board that l- leads you to the mystically to the golden fang and then you know the mishap with the yeah. weed in the first place uh, I do, you know, it is, I, I feel like sort of Liege's played in, in this book as maybe on the, cl- the more woo woo end of mm-hmm. things, but I don't think she's wrong. Um, I do, I do feel like sometimes there are, uh, cha- chaotic forces in the world that, uh, just try to upset your plans for no reason other than because they think it's funny. I mean, there's a reason that fairies and sprites are persistent throughout all of, yeah. all of human cultures. Yeah. My sister, um, believes that we're in a kind of uh, oh, have I said this before it's you podcast so long and then you forget what what bits you've done yes. um, and what facts you've shared but she thinks that we're basically living in like a big experiment yes uh, conducted by like you know we're, we're like rats in a cage and the simulation glitches <laughs> yes. sometimes and the, I, the I evil, think that's the evil scientist too. theorem yeah the evil scientist theory oh yeah that you're that we're all just like an experiment that some um master evil scientist is is conducting why is he evil because of the suffering on yes Earth? why uh, any scientist who would create such a situation would have to be evil for the amount of suffering that takes place uh i mean i guess the the buddhist thing is just that you know li- life is life is suffering suffering I mean, and sort of, sort of, of is, yeah. brings that brings that in um you know saying that uh does it, like if if you live your life at the mercy of your desires, like then suffering is all all the all there will be kind of thing. Yes, but then also, uh, what is life but de- desire? You know, it's true. That's that's basically all there is. Yes, just wanting different snacks and stuff. Yes, exactly. Uh, what, what what is what is what is existence but one snack to another? Yeah, one little treat to another to get to swing on them like monkey bars, trying to keep yourself uh sane. Uh, to bring things into to continue with the slight 
woo woo LA track. Um, I listened to, I tested out, I'm, I'm always on the lookout for new podcasts to listen mm-hmm. to. I have very specific tastes. Um, but there's one called Binchtopia that's hosted by two. I think their thing is like, we're two like Gen Z girls and we're trying to like talk about pop culture and its mm-hmm. uh, vagaries. But uh, one of one of the I think one at least one of them is in L.A. and she was recounting going to like a, a Buddhist chanting kind of meetup with a friend because yes. she was looking for some sort of spiritual community, and she was incredulously recounting the meditation leader, the chanting leader's statement, which is that like in the view of Buddhism, like even if you fed, uh, if you fed every hungry person in the world, mm-hmm. uh, a meal, like it's that, that what doesn't e- suffering exist beyond it. Yes. I would and like so, to buy, like, I would like to buy the world a Coke. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> pretty, pretty much. <laughs> and like, she was like trying to figure out, like she was trying to parse that and being like, I don't get it. Like if we, if we are able to feed every hungry person, we should, I'm like, it's a metaphor. And like, it it's, it's saying that there's no, there's no pl- you're not plugging a hole in the dike, you know. Yeah, like, that desire persists beyond our life, ability that, to sa- satiate it, even if we are to imagine satiation at the wildest possible material, yeah, uh, level. That there will still suffering be, would come in some other form. Yes, and you you see this it, like the the no matter how materially satisfied people are, they find ways to be miserable and new. It's it's one of the most it's one of the most beautiful things about human is that you will humanity is that no matter how satisfied you are, we will find new ways to make ourselves miserable. It's true. It's I, one of the greatest forms of human creativity. You see that, yeah, but you see that every every day, yeah. and I. But that's like one of the big, the biggest traps I'm trying to avoid. It's honestly, it's what most literature is about these days. Yeah. Is, uh, the most satisfied people on earth f- figuring out new ways to make themselves miserable. At least the the, the like. It's kind the old of, Fleischman. It's, that's what Fleischman was yeah, really that's in trouble the real for. Trouble for Fleischman. I need to read that book if I <laughs> am going to keep talking about it. Like I know what yes, it is about but, why Fleischman is in trouble. Well, I just. But I'm, it is like you know, it's it, it, the, the paradigm. <laughs> why is Fleischman in trouble? Uh, who is who, lifestyle? creep or something who was talking about that We're oh that, about that review no that review that oh shit the Reaganland guy did about why there was no there's no good media under trump that had that one really good line that that was like why he was still like trying to talk about the material background of literature it was being like the line that was like why we are which is why you have infinitesimally dissected lifestyles of park slope parents uh-huh in yes. pop literature yes it's just uh yeah, yeah. dialed down to the yeah. the, the most uh, atomized version of it yeah. because yeah Fleischman, he's it, in trouble it, 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 i don't know if we've done this bit on the pod but uh, it's, there's something about the the phrase fleischman in trouble that molly and i are both crack each other up imagining uh trump talking about it being like our boy, I'm, our boy fleshman he's in, trouble. he's in trouble why is he in trouble we don't know but we're trying to figure it out we're looking <laughs> into it very strongly fleshman he's in trouble <laughs> uh, maybe that should be our next book after this one yeah uh the other the, the other thing that i love about doc is that despite appearing hapless he really is good at his job yeah and in a lot of it is about permeating perceived barriers like getting getting in and pretending that is the once you look at the world as Mm -hmm. uh, a bunch of doors that anyone can walk through if you just play if you pretend correctly yeah then you see it differently i am a such a lawful lady and so like the idea of sneaky i remember we like went to some bar hoping to 
enjoy a drink. And the there was someone at the front being like, are you there for the private party? And my instinct was to be like, no. And but you could easily be like, ever yes. ask you, are you there? Are you here for the private party? The answer is yes. I I so often let you know the the doors of of that that close because I, I don't want to trespass. But I mean that's, that's all the, being a detective is. The interesting the interesting thing about a hippie detective is that I do think that one of the key detecting skills, at least as portrayed in detective literature, is that kind of is it Tai Chi mm. where you use the opponent's uh like energy against you, where you just have to kind of like let things come at you and uh, creatively step aside, you know? Yeah. Yes. Not putting up any opposition. Yeah. I don't know. This is why I'd be, I'd make a terrible detective only online. I could do a good job. Online sleuthing. Online snooping. Anything else? No. I don't. I, I, I feel bad about fading out on this plot recap thing, but I need, I need some time to absorb. A lot happened in the, Again, just this passage alone. I feel like if we weren't like kind of on schedule to get to a uh, a three year old's birthday in fifteen minutes, <laughs> we we could kind of luxuriate and and I yeah. would goad you through it. But maybe next time when yeah. we come back, sure. We've had house guests. We've like, <laughs> <sighs> God, it's twenty twenty fewer is going going poorly uh, so far. I well, no, look, I, I'm I'm jo- I'm joking. It's uh, we have a great year. We haven't left. Well, we did just go to Palm Springs, but that is, wait, we didn't have to get on a plane. 2020 fewer is mostly about not getting on planes. We have been on a plane twice this year already. But, but within two weeks in January. Of course. And now we have no further plane trips. I have a plane, I have a plane trip booked, but I have no, I I travel better alone. Uh, uh, when I'm alone, I I have no one to to complain to. Yeah. I'm such a, a, a travel burden. You're not, no, you're not a travel burden. Uh, no, it's just, I, I, I find I'm much more malleable when I'm, uh, existing as a, a single person. I'm going to try I'm to a, find some. A monad. I talked to someone last night, yeah, monad, uh, to, who, uh, takes edibles before flights. And I was thinking about that. I was like, that could go really right or really wrong. You think you could end up in a, I, I don't fear plane rides, but I wonder if I could end up getting the fear. If you fear. would get the fear from, yeah. yeah. I don't know. Yeah. There's there's more uh, customization to be done. I'd rather take like a heroic dose of melatonin or something. <laughs> That's the thing. I feel like in in flight, everyone is truly at their uh, at the their inflection point of it's, madness. It's kind of amazing how calm the vibe is on planes in general. Like it is one of those things where like flying sucks, but the social agreement of just being like quiet and normal on planes is actually insanely high when you think about how little social high, but when people break it it's like yeah. you you dick you, this is like the one thing that i thought we all yeah. agreed on you know yes um <laughs> all right should we wrap up let's wrap up okay see you see you next time we'll do this next see you, week see you in one to three weeks what? we'll see you in a week i i will yes i think next weekend we can, we'll stick, we can manage stick to my do life it. on that uh all right bye, bye.